All right, here we are. A little bit late, but better late than never. My name is Deshaun Carter. I'm a spring developer advocate. And today, today we're all lucky. We are all in a good spot because my good friend Thomas is here. Thomas, how are you doing? Hello, everyone. I'm doing good. Thanks. For how those of us that don't know you, why don't you give a, a little introduction? Yeah, my name is Thomas. I'm 23 years old. I'm from Germany. And I'm a Spring developer. Obviously. Spring developer here. advocate. I'm not an advocate yet. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you are. You might not work for VMware, but you are definitely a Spring developer advocate. Oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm active on a conference, and I'm doing open source libraries, and yeah, all around full stack with Spring. And you've been a wonderful part of the Spring Office Hours community, and I'm just super happy that you're here. And I'm happy that everybody's here. If you're here, let us know where you're from, uh, say hello in the chat, and yeah, what we normally like to do is kind of review what's going on, what's going on in the ecosystem, so I'm going to add a little bit. What's been going on with you, Thomas? How is your week getting off? How's it getting off to a good start or no? It's all right. Um, I'm going to the Java user group in Paderborn on Wednesday. I'm holding my talk there. Wait, which talk are you going to do? Uh, I'm going to do um, joyful server-side full-stack web development. That sounds super interesting and maybe a little bit about kind of what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. You think uh, you can maybe give us a, a little like... Intro, I'm gonna go over here to calendar. Uh, I'm gonna, let's take a quick peek at what's, what's coming, uh, what's yeah. come out. I'm gonna add this real quick. Let's add this to the stream. Can I get a different view? Mm, maybe not that one. I want this one to jump up. All right, let's do this. There now. we go. Let's check that out. So it's August 7th. This is episode 47. Uh, no really, no releases last week. We had STS4 that came out. Uh, and the only thing that's coming out this week is we have a new Spring Cloud release uh, milestone version. Next week, there's a lot of stuff on the plate. Next week, a lot of stuff's coming out. But nothing like like that's on my radar. Nothing in the projects that I'm using. I'm not looking for any new releases. So yeah, I know that uh, Spring Boot 3.1.3 is coming around later this month. And Spring Boot 3.2, I believe, has another milestone coming out. Yep. So yeah, we're, we're looking good. Things are moving forward. As always. <laughs> Look at this. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, everybody. We've got Alexander, hello, and Maelstrom. Wonderful. Thanks for joining. Things are happening. Tell me this. I'm going to hide this one. Tell me. What are you, what are you working on? Like what, what things are active for you right now? What are some of the interesting things you're working on? Um, so last week I did a stream with Josh and I was working on the um, native. Yes. For a Spring View component, so the native support. Um, still have to integrate that, um, but I think I'm going to do that at the end of the week. But yeah, other than that, um, not much going on. The Coffee Software channel. I think I have a link, or I'll try to throw that link in here. Uh, integrating Spring View component with. Yeah. Yeah, I got it. So I'm going to put that 
link because it was a good session. And there's a lot of stuff. He, he did some other shows. Yeah. Uh, Josh does awesome content always. Oh, let me find this. Yeah. But I'll put that in. What are you That's doing? Good. I, you know, it's conference season for us. Like it's, it's getting pretty crazy over here. And the chat, I just, or the link I just put in, that's the link to that episode that you did with Josh on coffee and software. Um, but right now, I'm getting ready for Spring One. Spring One is right around the corner. Are you going to be joining us at Spring One? Sadly not. <laughs> I, I thought about putting my talk in, but uh, the deadline was after, after the Spring IO conference yep. or be, before that. And I wanted to first look if I really want to do another talk. But yeah. yeah. But I've put my talk uh, at DevOx and JFall. So maybe there. Yeah. Spring one is what we're getting ready for. Uh, it's getting really packed. Uh, I heard uh, uh, some rumors that, yeah, it's going to be the, the biggest event uh, that we've done. And yeah, that's what I'm getting ready for. So I'm trying to get all of my demos and stuff ready so that I can stand them up, tear them out, stand them up, tear them down. All the things that you find in everything that you're doing as you go through that process. Um, one of the other things that I've been spending quite a bit of time in is some of these demos, the demos that I like to do and like to share, I don't want to be the only one that's sharing them. So I try to set up my demos. I try to make it so that my notes are in Markdown so anybody can go and copy them. And then I try to make it so that anybody else can go and take my talk or my demo and they can go and deliver it themselves. So one of the things that I spent quite a bit of time on last week was just kind of cleaning up. You know, you want that quick start so that it's easy for somebody to take and do your demo. Uh, so I spent a lot of time just kind of getting feedback, treating these demos kind of like a product because I want other people to go out and use them. So that's, that's what I've been spending my time on. Uh, that's that's what I spent a lot of time on last week and this week. It's all about spring on kubernetes and i'm just taking it a tiny step further i'm using a product called flux flux cd uh, which it's all about GitOps. so where i'm at right now is i can destroy a kubernetes cluster the one that i run on my on my my daily driver machine i can destroy the kubernetes cluster and then i you know rebuild it i run two commands and four minutes later i have all of the things that i want deployed on my local laptop are deployed and I can just start doing my development. So I have this idea of multi-tenant uh, Kubernetes cluster, which is an interesting topic all by itself, where I've got um, yeah different projects or you have different products inside of your company. Uh, how do you separate? How do you deploy them without giving everybody their own cluster? How do you manage the you know roles and access and all that kind of stuff? How do you give them access? You want to give some a bit of they can do it themselves, some self-service, uh, but then you also, you don't want to give too much. So there's kind of a fine line in how your organization sets that line, where they set that line is an important part of what determines how fast you get to go. So yeah, that's what I've been working on. Sounds awesome. And we haven't got you going on Kubernetes yet and that's okay. We're still I'm still, I'm still a Docker Compose guy, so. Like, and that works, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that are running on Kubernetes that would be just fine on Docker Compose. Yeah, yeah. My uh, my colleague at work, um, he's writing a book on GitOps, oh, a German one. Yeah. And and he's uh, and he has to do um, Docker Swarm at work, and he's always like, "Oh, these people, why do they not use Kubernetes?" And I'm like, 
This guy's does my Kubernetes clusters. I don't care, <laughs> yep. but because he can do it. But uh, for my daily daily work, I think, like if you if I have to self manage Kubernetes clusters aside mm -hmm. from my daily work, it's so much so much stuff to do. So, yeah, yep, it is, and that's why the uh, the the GitOps approach really helps. So yeah, that's where, that's where I'm spending time. It's yeah. kind of. Uh, I'd like to get more confidence and get more reps in what I'm doing. I think that's typical uh, for this role and for a lot of people in this community is like getting a chance to take it a step further. And you know what? Actually, I'm happy to show off what I've been doing. Uh, so yeah, we'll give a sec and, and then we'll jump into what you're doing. So I'm going to go here and I will show kind of what we're doing. So one of my teammates... Uh, Lee, he actually helped. I got so I got a little bit of bootstrap. So the idea here is you have different clusters that you can set up. Uh, so I've got multiple clusters running around my house. This is kind of a new uh, revision, but I can basically say on this machine, these are the things I want to install. And I still want to get a different view. Hold on one second. I'm going to switch this out. For those of you that are listening on the, you're gone. Um. I said, oh, yeah, for, <laughs> I was trying to say for those of us that are, are on the podcast, uh, I am I'm going through just kind of this flux control pattern that I picked up uh, and I got a little bootstrap from Lee. So for each of my clusters, I can set up different configurations. So in this one, this juice uh, Docker desktop, it's going to install the flux system, everything it needs to run flux. Uh, and then also it's going to install called Cloudflare D. So that's kind of the ingress uh, where I don't have to port forward anything. It's going to connect up to Cloudflare where my DNS happens and I can start sending traffic directly to this Raspberry Pi cluster. Then also kind of the, the underlying infrastructure that I might want to exist for all of the applications. So this is where I'll put in my, uh, my policy management, uh, my updates, my agents and all that kind of stuff. So it's a slow process, but baby steps. Uh, yeah. And then from there, I can install my tenants. So on this cluster, I'm saying, hey, I want this tenant called Deshaun-dev to be installed. And then in this other tenant, which will be on the same cluster in their own namespace, I want to install this tenant, springofficehours.io. And those map to GitHub repositories, GitHub oh, organizations. So I can show you that. So if I go to github.com slash Deshaun-dev, each one of these organizations is just going to have a Flux repository. So you can see that the organization name matches to that tenant name. So I can have some kind of consistency, that convention, so I could expand this out. And then inside of there, it's just customizations. So I have one customization file that says, hey, these are the things that I want to deploy in this namespace. So no matter, it doesn't have to know where the cluster is, my cluster, my Flux CD is doing the management. It's saying, hey, this is going to be deployed to these namespaces, but the app team, that organization doesn't care. The idea where I shouldn't care where it's going, just knowing that, hey, something is running and there should be kind of a feedback loop. I should know, hey, where's my, my logs, my metrics, et cetera. That's kind of the next step is making sure that, hey, it's deployed or is it deployed? Like, where do you get your status? Connecting all those dots to kind of have this, yeah, nice flavor of deploying applications. And because I'm doing a lot of stuff with Raspberry Pi, it gives me a way to deliver 
all different types of apps and orgs and namespaces to all this different infrastructure, all based on Git. So That's the management, awesome. I guess a, a fun little uh, demo here would be to kind of show it off. Yeah, everything should be based on Git, yeah, basically. So <laughs> let me show this real quick. I'm gonna say, hey, look, I've got, this is my cluster. Uh, right now you can kind of see that Kubernetes and Knative serving is what I use. Uh, Flux, and then it's got the ingress. There's actually some other services deployed here, but they're scaled to zero. So I'm gonna show you what this looks like real quick. This is exactly what I've been working on for these spring workloads. So I'm gonna go over here. I'm gonna reset my Kubernetes cluster. So everything's gone. Reset it, just delete it. It's okay because I've got everything in Git. The process of getting it back up is not that big of a deal. So as soon as that comes up, uh, yeah, I don't need to show anything else. I can close these guys. Uh, that's gonna come up here in just a sec. Yeah, we can terminate that. And yeah, so this is just deleting it. This is Kubernetes running on Docker desktop. And I just want to wipe it clean. I want to repave the whole thing. So first it's going to get rid of all the stuff. And then when it's done, it's going to start it back up, but it'll be empty. There's not going to be anything deployed there except for the Kubernetes infrastructure, that the APIs that are running Kubernetes, the system of Kubernetes is going to be there. And I didn't expect it to take this long, but so now it's going to say, hey, yeah, we're going to start that. So now it's starting, but now I can jump over here and I can show uh, K9s is a tool that you can use to connect to different Kubernetes clusters. Okay, things are starting to come up. So that's great. I'm going to jump. I have another project over here, my flux control project. that I showed. So now Kubernetes is up. I'm going to run a couple of commands here. Uh, just to show the idea of being able to repave and send new things. Uh, so I've got two commands. Hey, deploy some secrets so I can connect to Cloudflare and it's got that access. And then the other one is just like, oh, go do the Flux thing. Like go install all the things. So Flux kicks off and we can actually just watch it as it's going. So now, hey, Flux is running, it's doing its thing. It's installing the Flux system that has its watchers so it can watch those front-end repositories. Uh, yeah, Michael says, yeah, hey guys, I thought we were doing front-end. We're gonna get to that front-end. I'm just showing one demo and then we'll get there. So this is what's happening, it's going. But Michael makes a great point. Like, let's let's talk about the front-end. This is what I do. Uh, we'll see here in a second. It'll set up the login, the metrics, and it'll set up a couple of domains. But you're right, Michael, let's, let's get back to it. That's the front-end that Deshaun likes. Yes, this is CLI. <laughs> I'm sending. I'm sending everything. This is for all the the websites. Like, be able to deploy. Like, once you get a front end, you still got to get it to production somewhere, right? So, that's what we're doing. But let's talk about front ends. Like, what are some of the options when you think Spring Boot? I got the front end? I got a good T-shirt for that. I have one of those T-shirts. Well, actually, I don't have that one. I got I got a slightly different one. But yeah, great. So yeah, I got that. Thomas Jacon. Yeah, showed us his his nice Vaden T-shirt. What are your experiences with Vaden? I didn't have any yet. Um, so I've looked at it. I've talked a lot with um, Simon Martinelli. He's a big yep. Vaden user. Yeah. And But uh, the, the thing with Vaden is you build your UIs using Java DSLs. And I, I don't I don't yeah. understand why you would do that. So uh, I think I think on if you're building for the web, you should 
be staying as close as possible to your HTML. Yep. Because in the end, the browser renders HTML. So it's nice because it's all type safe and stuff. But mm -hmm. even like Kotlin has also an HTML DSL, but I've never used it because it's going to be ending up in HTML anyway. So that's why I like to stay close with HTML. So I don't know if you've seen this. This is where I go and this is what I think of. So this is kind of my default path for front ends of Spring. I'm going, I went to start.vaden.com, which it looks like it's using the Spring Initializer on the back end, but it gives you some ability. Uh, I'll see if I can, maybe I can log in. It gives you some ability to, yeah, configure your front end. So you can do some really interesting things. It's got a bunch of views already. So out of the box, you get a hello world and about, but you can just add views from the top. And then the output, uh, you have a nice way. Yes, look at Jitter Ted says, yep, I, I agree. You know, suffering through GWT. <laughs> um, every, every older person, I have to say, not old, but older person, older than me, every time I talk about how like we're going to do server-side rendering and full, full stack again with Spring and everything, they're all, all, every time they bring up, yeah, I suffered with GWT. GWT. Yes, there's this pendulum <laughs> of like where we decide to put things. So when I started my career a long time before you did, uh, the pendulum was like, hey, yeah, we're doing all this cool stuff uh, in the front end in JavaScript. But JavaScript was, was really young. So things were breaking and people were hacking it and it was really hard to make it consistent. So then I kind of shifted back where we're going to generate all the HTML in the back end. And it worked. And hey, we're doing like things. JSP was a thing, but we're doing other ways of generating that HTML in the back end. But then again, that pendulum kind of shifted back. And oh no, we got all these cool frameworks in, in JavaScript, JavaScript, JavaScript. And then now again, I feel like that pendulum is starting to shift back and we're hearing more and more about this server-side rendered. Actually, Vaden is not server-side rendered. Right. It's, it's, it's a single page application. But the big, um, um, Simon told me that the big benefit of Warden is the huge component library. So yes. like at my current job, we're doing, we're doing like, we have this form builder. Um, but instead, if we would use Warden, for example, we wouldn't have to have all this pain. Uh, and it would be much better with, because the, you have all these components. Yep. But in that itself, you're limited because you have these predefined components for like a back office application. It's very nice. But if you have something consumer facing, well, you need to build your own components anyway. And the thing, the thing with Vaden is you, you either use these components or if you want to build your own, it's, it's, it's process, right? And if you're doing something HTML-based, you can. there's so many component libraries for HTML out there. So... That's one benefit, I would say, but it has yeah. its use cases as everything. Like, yeah, like for me, for what I do, the, the quick start, that MVP, you know, we can spend a lot of time cycling on what's the best thing and, and how to do things, but there's a lot of value in getting something out the door. Uh, and I like this tool a lot. I've been using yeah. it a lot more lately. And you talked about the components I'm showing on the screen. You know, you can do there's Hello World, there's dashboards, cards, lists, uh, but with their paid version, there's maps and spreadsheets and a lot of cool things you can do. Yeah. And you can kind of like build that framework here and then go get started. Just like we are used to doing with the start.sprint.io initializer. 
So yeah. I like it a lot. What are some other options? What are some other things that you think about when you think about front end with Spring Boot? So from um, from the company that does Varden, there's also Hilla. That's also very interesting. And they uh, Hilla is um, a single patch application and um, with a Spring Boot backend. And they have a React front end or a lit front end. And the nice thing with that is um, you you define endpoints and then you can it like auto generates all the TypeScript code for you. So it defi uh, so it generates the classes for interacting with your API. It um, creates it generates the API clients, and you can call that from a TypeScript front end. So that's a, I didn't use it yet. Um, I would like to, but no time. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, I get it. Yeah, cool. but so, for now, I think I think because of where you sit in the ecosystem, I think there's a lot of value here in, in understanding like what's on your radar. Uh, just because where you said, I think you've got a unique perspective. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it is definitely a tool, and I've watched I've watched Josh do videos, and I've I've watched how it, how it works. So I understand. Uh, yeah, and I'm also still a big fan of the the AOT stuff. The one thing I don't know is if I've done the or if I've seen a Hilla with native combination. So I don't know that. I know my VOD and stuff, I was able to do that. I know you worked on yours uh, last week, but getting to that native AOT image, that's an important part of what I'm trying to do. So that's where, that's a big part for me. That's a big checkbox for me. What else is on your radar? Uh, so my own stuff. <laughs> um, so what I'm doing is server-side rendering um, with HTMX, and um, so um, what I've been looking at is all these um, server-side Java, mostly Java um, template engines, because that's where the core of it is. Um, you you get HTML out of the door with a template engine. Like there's in the Spring, I gotta say the start of Spring.io is really it doesn't have the cool template engines. Uh, there's um, What's it called? Apache Free Marker. There's J Mustache, but the thing is with um, like with Spring, the the template engines don't really are first class citizen. I gotta say they're not they're not really that um, popular, and so there's there's better template uh, engines uh, nowadays. Um, for example, um, J Statue is a type safe compiled mustache implementation. Or what I've been, um, and I've currently integrated Thymleaf. That's not type safe. It's also in the start.spring.il. Yep. And it has really nice integration with um, Spring. Like you have, there's, um, for example, for security, you can access the security context authentication directly in your templates. And that has also drawbacks, I think. Um, what would those drawbacks? First of all, let me back up. Yeah, HTMX. sorry. HTMX, yeah. your head said, yay, HTMX. Describe HTMX for us. Okay. What HTMX does um, is it extends HTML as a hypermedium. So if you think about HTML, um, you have links and you have forms. Because in the olden days where JavaScript did not exist yet, you could interact with the server without any JavaScript because there was no JavaScript. So um, so a hypermedia is um, you you send the inf your server sends the information, so your presentation of the information and the interactions that your client can do with it. So 
if you think about normal HTML, it's an anchor tag. You can move, you can navigate on your application with the anchor tag. And with the form element, you can do transactions to your server because it can create post requests. And what HTMX does, it extends that. So you can't, you, you cannot only do get requests with an anchor tag and you can do post requests with the form tag. You can do that with every tag. You can do that with any event. You can, and the big thing is that makes it very, um, um, you can swap out the HTML. So what you can do is you can, um, you can trigger a request. For example, um, you create a request to your backend where you, for example, a to-do list. You delete an item from your to-do list. And what you do is you don't, like with normal HTML, you would re-render the whole page. So you would have a refresh. Mm -hmm. And what you can do with HTML is um, only re-render the tasks. So what you do is you delete this item from the task list or for the to-do list. And then you send back the whole, uh, only the to-do list and swap that out dynamically without a page refresh. So that's the whole stick. You can do dynamic interaction. You only need this library, but you don't need to touch any JavaScript. Let's see. Yeah, what Jetjet Head says. More interactive apps. More interactive apps without going full SPA and let the server generate the HTML. Yeah. That was good. I liked your explanation of being able yeah. to do Git post with any element. Yeah. That, made, that, that resonated with me. That's good. And another interesting thing is um, if you think about REST, like every call, everyone calls their um, JSON API nowadays, calls them RESTful. But they actually don't, um, the, if you, there's this Richardson REST maturity model uh -huh. and, the, and the highest level of API maturity is actually called um, HDOS, Hypermedia as the engine of application state. And there's a Spring HTOS um, project yep. that does that. But the problem with that is it um, usually uses um, JSON. And the f um, and with HTOS, um, so what it says is hypermedia as the engine of application state. That means that you always send the interactions um, from your front uh, from your backend to your front end. And then in this case, your client is just a browser. And the problem with, the, with like these JSON-based libraries is that you don't you split the the um, presentation of your um, information and your interaction, and that doesn't make much sense. And that's where HTMX comes in because you you send when you send HTML across the wire, you send the presentation and the interaction, and that makes it really nice because it's really. Um, a big thing of on HTMX is locality of behavior. So all your stuff is local. Yeah, I've not gotten to testing HTMX yet. Oh, so oh boy. You got to show me to the test sometime. Yeah. We'll have to get there. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, Good thing I, I, I prepped a presentation for the Java user group. <laughs> yeah, um, so you're ready. Like you, yeah. you all, it's right top of mind. This is great. Do you want to show anything? Uh, yeah, I can show you some stuff. Um, great. Get my second. We're lucky. So this has been fun, and for us, for the people that have been, you know, in the community for a while, uh, you brought this up early on. You know, uh, it was you've been working on it for a long time. And yeah, I think. Um, um, so actually, Wim de Blauer got me started. 
on yeah. on server-side rendering because i went through the whole pain of creating a single page application so my first real big spring boot project was a customer side uh, for data recovery and i've built that with angular and with spring boot backend and the hassle of like doing all that stuff you have to create typescript um, classes you have to create java classes you have to create an api client and all that stuff it it was so complex and i put a post um, uh, about it i wanted to update like i didn't upgrade the the angular project for a year only a year and the list of changes i had to do was like it didn't fit on the screen uh, it's on twitter uh, it's like so long so it was really it's it's insane. Yeah. Angular is actually I I I have grown up on it. Um, I get it. It's it's nice, but you have all these the same issues you have for all single page applications. Um, yeah. So that's where I came in. Uh, so Wim uh, did all. He is like the father of Thymeleaf. Basically, he has a book on it, Taming Thymeleaf. It's called, and. That's really that's really nice um, book, but the thing I um, I actually talked with um, with Oliver and Wim on Twitter about like okay it has a family for spring has like it's these issues these different issues and um, the thing is um, it's because spring is not really a full stack framework it's backend framework they don't they don't consider themselves a full stack framework in my opinion because like. The um, Spring MVC, it didn't really evolve over the last decade. I think, like you, you have the model view and controller. I've looked at, uh, I've looked at like Spring two dot something, and how you do model view controller is the same as it was ten years ago, mm-hmm. twenty years ago. I, 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 I couldn't figure out um, exact number, but that's like the thing, and it's not, it's not really evolved with like the all these. All these front-end um, advantages that, like these single-page application frameworks, have it didn't really evolve, and that's what I'm trying to do with my library. Yeah, Spring View component, it's called. Um, so I'm going to ask a couple of questions. As long this is Jitter Ted says, as long as a long time leaf and server-side generated HTML fan, it's great to see things like HTMX becoming popular. And yeah, you're. I think you know in my head. Thomas, you're kind of at that that front, at least for the Spring community, doing a lot of interesting things. And I want to ask a question. I definitely lean into the back end, and I've got you know these models for how I'm delivering front end apps. And yeah, a lot of times my front end kind of has a Spring Boot wrapper around it. So whether it's uh, Ionic or Angular or React or whatever, I'm still delivering it inside of a Spring Boot app, so I can get things like metrics and I, I can put it into a container easily uh, and I can do like service discovery. I can connect it to all the other things like config. How do I do those things? How do I do those cloud native things with other frameworks? If I, if I wasn't doing that with Spring Boot, how might I do that? What are some other options for like, hey, I want, I'm going to deploy this front end app uh, in this environment. In this environment, it's got this URL. How do I, how might I go about feeding in those things to other applications in other frameworks. You mean other, uh, like other backend frameworks, you mean? Yeah. Well, and I'm trying to argue the point about Spring being full stack and how it gives me this flexibility to do things for my backend and my front end. 
Yeah, you can like um, you can deliver like in the end, JavaScript is only um, are only files that you serve. So in the end, mm -hmm. it's just uh, your your t embedded Tomcat or Netty or whatever you use just returns the f HTML files and the JavaScript files, and then that connects to your um, Spring Boot backend. Yeah, and I've delivered like just without even a, a sort of just nginx, right? Hey, here's the files. You can go to that and put it into an nginx container, and it's serving up all of the pages. Because then you get some interesting things like, uh, yeah, yeah you but your proxy and HTTPS and all that kind of things. You can do that with nginx as well. But what you, what I didn't get, I had to then configure, configure, you know, during build time. I couldn't do it at runtime, so I had to have different containers configured different ways for different environments. How yeah, you got. I would I would argue that that with like um, server side rendered you're more flexible because in the end it's only a Spring it's actually an API it's just an API yep. so you're more flexible I would say and what I've also I I didn't get around to it but I, what I wanted to discover was if you put your front end as a microservice. Mm -hmm. So you do. Uh, you have your Spring Boot app in your microservice cluster or something. Yep. And what you do is you take that app and put it as an uh, as an input to your um, cluster. And then with like for some uh, for example, I want to do it with uh, the declarative HTTP clients because you can share these uh, across your microservices. Yep. And then connect that little uh, microservice that delivers your server side rendered um, page. And connect them with Spring, so everything is Spring. Everything, yep. and that makes it. I'm thinking it makes it very nice. I didn't get around to it, but that that's something I wanted to, to discover. That is a great idea, and I'm following your your thought track right there. Uh, here's Michael says snippets may remind you of Hotwire for Ruby on Rails or Symphony UX Turbo, but Nitty came up with them 14 years earlier. Yeah, it's it's um, it's th that's the thing. It's like um, you you take a step back. You you think about okay, what if we if we went back ten years ago when React was first introduced, what could we have done differently? What if instead of this whole JavaScript hellhole we're all in as like backend first developers, um, what? Could we have done differently? And to the point, um, I've uh, read a blotter from um, DHH, the creator of Ruby on Rails. Like yeah. his whole view on the thing is like he he established uh, the Hotwire um, Ruby on Rails framework. And the thing that you get with like the server side rendered um, appli web applications is that you get a productivity boost like nothing else. Because what what they do at um, I think the company is called. Um, the product is called hey it's like an email client or something yep. and what they do is they have two persons team one is a designer that can create html they don't do figma or something like that but instead uh, the designer creates the html and then the backend um, or the full stack developer i have to say then just fills that data with the ruby on rails template engine mm -hmm. or whatever it is and with their hotwire framework they do they have the interactivity and that makes them so productive because you remove so much complexity. Yeah. And I, I think, in my experience, that, that would make so much stuff so much more productive because yeah. removing complexity is the only 
thing you can really do to increase productivity. If you put another developer on it, yeah, no, it's not going to be any faster because then people have to connect, coordinate more, right? And I can do similar, right, with Timeleaf, right? I can say, yeah, hey, you if can. I could do that same model, uh, hey, here's the, the front end, here, plug it in, plug in the values. Yeah, that's that's actually um, Fimeleaf. Um, uh, their whole uh, one of their big selling points is that they have natural templates, and that means that um, when you don't, when the engine is not running, you can still view the HTML file, yeah. and it looks like it's um, like it, it would be. Like you can put in fake data, and yeah. the the Fimeleaf um, um, expressions like overrides them. So I didn't use it yet um, because I've been working alone, so I didn't need that. But yeah. um, that's what one of their selling points. And Jitter Ted says, yes, that's what I love about Timeleaf. It's a natural HTML page. And that's, that's really why. There's, so there's Timeleaf, Groovy Templates, Apache FreeMarker, and Mustache. Those are all available on store.spring.io. Um, but that is the reason why I always kind of defaulted to Timeleaf. It's it's the best choice amongst uh, not so good choices, I would have to say. Ted says, which is disappointing when looking at newer engines like Pebble. So I yeah, think what I'm hearing yeah. is uh, Ted would like to see Pebble. Perhaps. Yeah, there are, there are a lot better template engines than uh, Timeleaf. So um, I, fast. I tried to add your screen uh, once. I'm going to try it again. I uh, can wait a oh. second. I'll try to uh, do it again. Let's take a look. Let's see what we can do. There we go. I can see your screen now. Yeah. So <laughs> one of the things, um, so that's on the um, JTE side. Uh, one of the things, like there's these many um, template engines. And I have to say, speed is not important at all for a template engine because uh, you have like, database connections and all that, and it's way slower than anything. But like you can see here that um, like Fimeleaf uh, is one of the slowest. Doesn't matter, but still it's a thing. And so that's JTE. And um, I really like the syntax because um, uh, if you can see that, it's like uh, it's basically writes like Java. You can do if statements, and then you can do property bindings just with these uh, curly braces, and it's very nice. Um, but what also, um, that's the thing with like the Spring Boot, um, the Spring Start.Spring.org, all the template engines are pretty, and then like other than Timeleaf, there, uh, all the other ones are like depreciated basically. Like I've looked at the, um, um, I've looked at the uh, commits for I think Freemark or something, and they didn't do a commit like a release for a whole year, and I'm like, yeah, okay, it's probably like finished, but still, it, um, they're they're not they're pretty much depreciated in my opinion. Like other than Thymleaf, like Thymleaf yeah. is still going strong. But here's another uh, example for JStartio, which is like a mustache implementation. Mm -hmm. But the default one on start.spring.io is um, JMustache. And the thing with JStartio is that it's um, compile time safe. So you have all like the the template engines that use uh, that are being offered on start.spring.io don't use the 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 opportunities we have on the server because we know we are on the server so we have types we have compile time we can do compile time safety for our templates 
And that's the thing. Why so don't... I see this screen right here. And I have to ask, like, did you ever do any development with JSPs? No. Java server pages. No. Right? This is where we, I, I could pull in all sorts. I could do all sorts of really dirty, nasty things inside of Java server pages. Where's that line? Where's the line, you know, when you have that flexibility to pull in and do Java code, uh, where's, where does that line, what should that line look like in your opinion? Uh, so, I've done some very awful things inside of JSPs. Yeah, so um, I've looked a bit of JSP. Like uh, I've only know it because everyone I talk was like, "Oh yeah, we did that with JSP." And uh, or, or. <laughs> um, but the thing is, um, the difference is that you that you don't have any state. We just render HTML, and you do do that with ifs and loops and property bindings. You don't do anything else. And what you then do is um, you use the hype, uh, so you use Helios, so Hypermedia as the engine of application state for your state. So what you do is you just make a request to your to your backend, and then um, you get the current state of the server sent over the wire via HTML. That's the whole thing, like because then you don't have all these issues that I think all of you are talking that you have with JSP, yeah. because it's just the current server state represented via HTML. It's nothing else. You brought up the whole uh, state. How do you keep track of state? How are you handling state? That was a big problem, right? Uh, <coughs> well, especially as you try to scale, how do you keep track of state for the, the millions of users, etc.? Well, your state is always just represented on your server. Yep. So you don't have any client-side state. So that's the, that's the thing. You, that's you, the yeah, you, that, that makes it so much more simpler. And I think and one of the other things, uh, and I'm, I'm looking at Jitter Ted in the chat, uh, expecting a response. One of the other things is technology has changed. Uh, there was a point in my career where the amount of bytes that you sent over the wire was an important metric, right? The, the amount of, right, we, were, we weren't on megabit lines. You know, there, there was, early in my career, it was, you know, dial up and all that kind of stuff. We had to account for that, right? Because even even the enterprises didn't have megabit connections in a lot of cases. So we've we've been allowed to make some of these changes, and we we're being allowed to do some more interesting things and send a little bit more uh, data over the wire in order to give us some of these capabilities. That's but um, like that's one point I heard from like the JavaScript community is like mm -hmm. oh we we sent HTML instead of JSON over the wire and oh it's so much worse performing but the thing is HTML is not really that heavy it's right. it's it's just a few bytes basically yep. I think uh, it's it's so little and it's Jitterhead is loving the stream <laughs> yeah I mean this is like. Again, like that's one of the things I like about this uh, is I know that, you know, I, I picture myself uh, 10, 12 years ago. I know I would have loved to be just a part of this conversation. And and I get excited knowing that there's somebody you're you're an anomaly uh, this early on in your career that you're able to go this deep and have these levels of conversations. Uh, I get it. Um, but, yeah, having Jitter Ted here and having his his takes is great. Uh, he says, in fact, it's easy to fall into a bit of a trap with time leaf, like using case switch like statements. I get it. 
So make the state easy for the front end to interpret is key. Don't do complex expressions there. These are just like good tips. And that's, I think, a, a tip no matter what you're doing in the front end. Like that's just a statement like, hey, make it easy. Uh, and you're going you're gonna to give yourself a whole lot of an easier time going forward. Yeah. Um, it all depends on Glenn. says, I actually use Astro.js because it's very close to HTML that I learned 10 years ago. And you have the flexibility to make components, but you don't have to. It's very beginner friendly. So that's something we'll have to take a look at soon. Actually, um, Astro is one, like um, um, there's this Astro. So that's um, the Astro server-side rendered JavaScript library or framework, whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it. But these three um, pages, why Astro, MPA versus SPA, and Astro Islands are actually ones I really like to people to refer to because these same concepts that Astro does also um, apply to server-side rendered HTML with something like HTMX. Because you have the whole... Um, all, I, don't, I don't need to explain uh, to the JavaScript community um, that the approach is, is, is like um, good because they do it themselves. And yeah. so um, here actually um, they call it islands. So for like interactivity, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you can have this whole Java, uh, you can have this whole HTMX and like swap out, but then you have this um, the, the server round trip, right? And the thing is, like with Astro, they do it with um, with um, JavaScript, right? Mm -hmm. And the thing is, with something like Spring View Component, you can just have interactive JavaScript islands. Actually, they didn't invent it. Um, if you look at the um, the rest um, dissertation from Roy Fielding, he uh, he actually, I think, he coined the term um, "code on demand," and basically, you send script tags with your HTML. Yeah. That's how you get interactivity. Um, so it's pretty pretty, um, pretty cool how you can do just all the stuff um, with, um, with just simple, simpler stuff. I'm going to ask another question. Uh, based on that view that we just saw, um, there's this concept of micro front end. If you remember this concept, micro front end, where your a different bit. components, your different APIs are just okay. They only care about yeah their APIs display. Yeah, this you can, fits into the same bucket inside of my head. Am I on the right track? Um, actually not. It's just um. So what we think is um. Here we just think in uh, like that's that's my uh, that's the whole thing with the Spring View component library is that you that you think in components, so as blocks of your website, and you deliver them all at once. What you're thinking about is that you can that one of these components could live in a other microservice, for example, all right? And you can do that with um, with um, HTMX as well. But the question is, is it a good idea, right? Um, yeah. Because how big is your component that you need to uh, that you need to have a whole different service? Like that's the other discussion uh, I can get into. Um, yeah, because I'm I'm gonna you know kind of bring it all around uh, because there was a, a a while where we were dealing with uh, portals and we had the the portal API and the portal spec. So these different apps were uh, sending their UI through this portal spec. 
which was kind of an evolution of what we had done. We were realizing like, hey, yeah, I'm gonna have these different apps, but they're all gonna be on the same uh, screen, but each app is basically generating its own UI. So it's kind of an evolution of that take. Yeah. So you're sharing your screen. Yeah. What are you looking at? So that's my um, demo application. Um, it's actually available on fullstack.tshuli.de. If you want, if you guys in the chat want to have a look at it, um, I shared that at uh, Spring.io. And here, what we, what you guys see here is um, that's a nice thing about server-side rendering. Um, that's uh, the render time of each view component but it's done with Spring AOP. So we use aspect-oriented programming to track the render time of our components. So we don't need any JavaScript or any of that stuff to like measure that stuff. We can just do that with, um, uh, with Spring. And what you can see here, um, if you look, uh, let's make that bigger. Down here. Um, so what you what we just talked about um, is this uh, micro frontend, right? Mm -hmm. And what you see here um, is exactly that. Um, so uh, uh, I'm trying to get it in nice fitting way. So what you see here is um, an HX sketch. Oh, let me put it up. In, um, here. So what you see here is exactly this um, this component, right? Um, that's our dashboard view component. And what you do here is exactly this, what you could do with micro frontends, but you don't have to. Mm -hmm. And what you do here is you call uh, the endpoint line chart component for this, um, this chart, right? Mm -hmm. And the nice thing about that is you can use all the stuff that's available um, with Spring uh, and um, in combination with the Spring View Component Library, we can just render um, components instead of thinking about templates. So um, with normal MVC, you have to think about, okay, I have a controller and then I have um, this data that's in, the, in my controller and then I have this template. And then, for example, with Timeleaf, you can use... Um, nested templates and like use fragments but then you have to keep off all the properties you use in these templates and if you change something you have to change that in every controller and it gets messy very fast yep and that's where spring view component and because what, what it does is you can define view components and what they do is they just wrap a template and the data for example here that's the the view component for the chart we just saw uh -huh. And what we do here is we define an API, a type safe API for our HTML component. And um, for example, here, that's um, the chart details and you have the width, the height and the data, right? And then you return like each view component exposes a random method and then you return a view context. And the view context basically holds the data for our template engine to render. And if we look at here, um, I'm not sure if it's the wrong one. If we look at the HTML, you can see that I'm not I'm also using JavaScript, just using it in this little component. So here we have the chart.js library, 
as a script text. So on demand, when that component loads, it loads that JavaScript library because we want to have a nice interactive chart. And what you see here is um, we just use the, the, um, the details. Uh, here it's called bar chart details. Uh, we pass them here into the view context, right? Uh, like that. We pass this bar chart details view property, I call them, um, into our template engine. And we can access these now. So we have that's that's JavaScript method. And then we we pass in the data from our server into this rendered JavaScript. And that's 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 like the whole thing, uh, all the, all they're doing, right? And the the thing is, um, uh, you can nest these. So in our dashboard view component, um, you can um, you can use this um, to render the component inside our um, dashboard. So we just call the chart view component render method and pass that into our view context, right? And then we can um, nest this. So request here. So um, just with this attribute, we can nest the, the view component inside our um, other view component. Yeah. And because they're all spring beans, you can get creative. Like you could use dependent. It's all dependency injected. So you could use interfaces. You could you could do inheritance, some stuff like that. You can get pretty creative with it. So every time I've used it, I've um, found more use cases for it. So tell me this. Yeah. I'm looking to do front-end development. Uh, I see you're using uh, Tailwind uh, in places. But you, you've got flexibility. You, you're, you're not limited here by some certain uh, set of components. right? You yep. can basically pull components from whatever uh, JavaScript UI library you want. Yeah. What is kind of the sweet spot for this tool that you're building? Like, what is the thing that it's really going to help drive and really going to push forward? Um, so I've been using um, the um, Tailwind, as you as you already mentioned, um, and I'm also using Alpine JS for client side interactivity. And then Thymely, but I'm actually um, I'm actually don't know if I want to switch over um, from Thymeleaf to another templating tool. Um, but first, um, I want to make it um, compile time safe because Thymeleaf currently isn't, it doesn't check if your, if your model properties are there, right? Right. And I can do that with Spring View Component because uh, we, have, we have the information, like with this view context, we have the information what variables we can use in our template. So I'm currently working an, an, on an annotation processor that scans the template and then checks if this property is actually available. Because yep. currently IntelliJ doesn't work, but it tells me it cannot resolve it. But interesting, you can do it. Very interesting. I'm going to take this time. This is, this is interesting. Again, there's been a lot of talk, right? You, Josh, Dave, we're, we're all uh, thinking about this. And yeah, everybody's you know being asked to do a little bit more with less. Uh, so having these front end skills, understanding, picking a framework. Again, I think we can we can all build a, a UI worthy of getting an MVP out in a dozen different frameworks. Um, but we have some options. 
and I want to just remind everybody, like, this is spring office hours. We're not here just to feed you information. It's a, it's a community. We want you to bring your questions. If you've got questions, we're going to wrap up here in a little bit. But if you've got questions that you'd like to get answered, ask them. We're here. So, Thomas, I'm going to kick it back over to you. Yeah. Uh, he, Ginger Ted says, seems like refactorability is a big plus here. Yeah, you can, because like these components are self-contained. They don't, you can refactor and it, it, it changes across the whole application. And if there's an error, like if you change the API, it's all Java or Kotlin, whatever you use, it's all compiled. So your build, build tool will scream at you if you do something wrong yeah. before it gets to production, right? Which is always good. Yeah. So the next thing I want to show you is like the, the HTMX. Um, yeah. So what we do here is actually, um, let me close this. Um, we define an hxget attribute, and we call um, the line chart component endpoint. And so if we look for that, actually I have to. Goofy Tavern says, nice feature, lovely. I'm a junior developer, junior developer from Hungary. Well, Goofy Tavern, thank you so much for joining and for the feedback. We're trying to help out. Yeah. So we now, what we now do is we combine um, the um, timeleaf and HTMX. So here you can see the th each attribute, mm -hmm. and what that does is ran, uh, loop over the render time label list. It's called here, and these are all component names of our view components that um, that our AOP aspect put into our data store. Right? And what it does then does is um, it calls on click, call makes an HTTP GET request to the slash line chart component endpoint. And what you see uh, when we go here to the component controller, I've called it here, um, we have we have to find the scat mapping line chart component. And then we don't have to deal with any templates. We can just call the analytics chart view component dependency injected and call the render method and pass the name. And the nice thing is uh, that calls our analytics service and gets the data for this component. So it's all connected. So, yes. yeah, exactly. And for example, here you can see um, another feature of HGMX I've, called, um, I've said before is um, you can uh, um, trigger on any event. Yeah. So the, the and here, what we do here is we use the um, index.first. So the first uh, element of our um, list gets the attribute load and click. So when we load the page, it automatically creates a request for the first element and puts it into our DOM. Very nice. And that's what you could do. So all this whole micro front end stuff could do that as well. Um, but I'm not really convinced of it yet. So but this is great stuff. I I want to ask you a question. I'm going to be real transparent and a little vulnerable here. If I wanted to take your framework for a spin, what's the one thing that you would have me do to go and exercise it and see how awesome it is? What's an example that you'd have me do? An example? Um, an example project. I want to get I want to get to learn your project. Give me a task. Um, Give me some homework. Yeah, so um, just create a to-do list. Create a okay. to-do list. To-do list. 
and then just um, do that with HTMX. And uh, <laughs> I have I have an example for that okay. because um, I've created an integration for um, HTMX with Spring View component. So what you can do is um, you can just re-render the component. That's the whole stick of it um, because you don't you don't need to deal with templates. You can just re yeah. JitterTet is right. It's so much getting easier. Getting HTML fragment seems so much easier than getting the JSON and converting it into HTML by letting the front end be like, hey, put this here, put this here. Yes. I've got a good meme for that. Uh, <laughs> take a look. Uh, wait. Where did I put it? Here. Here. That's the whole thing. <laughs> right. You remove two whole layers from your application, and you 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 can't tell me that's not going to give you productivity benefits, right? Yeah, it seems like it's a little bit of a cheat code, and I'll I'll, I'll be you know skeptical for a little bit. Like where where am I going to run into problems? I don't know yet. About, yeah, uh, tell me more about this little to do app that you've built. Yeah, so um, what we're doing here is um, we use Spring component uh, Spring View component View Actions. And what they do is because, um, as you've seen before, um, with um, with the normal HTMX integration, we need to we need to create an endpoint for this component, right? And now we're getting in the fun part. We don't need to do that anymore. Um, here, um, I can show you the. Um, here we have an um, to do something list, and mm -hmm. we can delete these, and they all get. Um, Un, uh, like uh, generated without any, without any uh, reloads, right? And if you want to have a look, um, I have in the Spring View component um, repository. I in our in my um, test folder, you have the um, a test application that shows you all these features, right? And the view actions. Um, is a new feature I'm currently working on. Like it's already out, but let's like the whole app, the whole framework is still beta because um, some stuff will still need to get figured out, and there's bugs and everything. But what I've done here is you can in your Spring uh, View component you can define actions, and what you do here is you just um, you just add an annotation. Here it's a post view action. What we do here, um, it's a method called add item, and it has a DTO, and this DTO matches the uh, matches the HTML we have in our uh, template. So if we look at it here, uh, let me turn on soft wraps. Um, so what you see here is um, we have this form. That has one input field um, with the name item, let's tab text. And what we do here is we add an attribute to this form element. And it's called view colon action. And with add item as the attribute. And what that does is connects um, the add item to this add item method in our um, in our view component. And here we call the example service add item to list with our action form DTO item, and then return the render method. 
And what you see down there, um, we return the random method. And the random method of our um, action view component returns the item list. And it gets that from the example service. So it's the current up-to-date state of the server. What we're we doing? Yep. HDOs. And we loop over this list of items, again, with, uh, with HTML, uh, with FileMeaf attributes. We loop over this list of items. Then we display a value, um, uh, the text as, uh, inside a span. And if you if we look at the um, if we look at the rendered HTML, you can see here in the form um, before that there was a view action at item attribute. But what we now did is we rendered them to HTMX attributes. Yeah. So here we have an HX post because we used the post action. And uh, the endpoint is the action view component slash add item endpoint that's automatically generated for you. It targets the action view component. So that's the that's the parent diff because we have everything inside this one big component. And then uh, we swap the whole element. So what happens here if we, um, let's make the Sean, new item, the Sean, save item. If we go into the network tab, you can see we created a post request to the action view component at item endpoint. Our payload is the yes, form, the, right the form data in our, um, and that matches the form data class in our um, in our view component. Mm -hmm. So what you could do here as well, you could compile, you could verify all that at build yep. time because yep. we have all information available at build time. And then what we get back is our rendered HTML. So that's essentially Helios because we get rendered back um, the item, the Sean. Yep. And now the next thing is we want to delete some stuff. We can do that as well because in each element, we also define, um, so that's where your to-do list comes in. <coughs> we have a view action and we can combine that with um, with our uh, timely again. So we have a delete view action. And here, we, as a parameter, we just have an ID, it's an integer. And what we do here is we just put the item key as parameter. Mm -hmm. And that also calls, creates HTMX attributes. So here we have an HX delete uh, with delete item and the parameter ID five. And that swaps them out, and it's. I think it's it's no. I, I'm not gonna call my 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 own stuff <laughs> genius, but it's pretty nice. I gotta yeah, say, it's nice for a lot for a lot of things. Yeah. And when you do that, but that whole component is getting rendered on the back end and sent to the front end. You don't have to do the the match of the JSON to the object. Yeah. Um, so there's a question here. I put the link to Spring View component. I put that link up, uh, and Ahmed says, hey, just a question. When you change your route, does the whole page reload or just the part that changes? So currently, um, the whole page um, gets uh, refreshed, but HTMX has a, oh, that's not good. Um, but um, HTMX has also um, an, um, an HX boot attribute that, can, uh, that all your normal um, Page reloads um, will get um, what's it called? Um, will get um, intercepted and 
they're just going to be AJAX requests. So you can you can have the whole um, SPA um, experience, but what there's um, also um, so if you if you want to check HTMX more out, um, it's on hmx.org. And I have two things. Uh, one uh, one thing I'm gonna go. Um, I'll show you um, because they have a lot of these essays. And um, where is it? Okay, uh, I'll have to. I can uh, show you some other time. But yeah, there's okay. um, this. You can actually have this with um, persistence. Um, so you can have a persistent element. Um, persistent element. So you can have that where I don't. Find, I can't find it now. Um, you can have it that, for example, you have a video playing in the on your page, mm -hmm. and then you make a request um, to your backend and change to another page. But on that page, the um, the element is still there. Yeah, and you can do it that the video keeps playing with HTMX with server side rendering everything. Well, that's great. Yeah, Thomas, thank you so much. We're running in, into a time here. Um, well, but there's one more thing that's on my mind, and you know it's something that I've been talking about a lot. Um, the Spring Academy. Yeah. Uh, you've used it. You've had fun with I've it. Used, yeah. You're doing good things. You you finished it and you got your certification. Yes. And that I've just been telling the story. Like you're part of this Spring Office Hours community. Uh, you did it. Give me give me a, the the thirty second summary. Your thoughts on Spring Academy? My thoughts on Spring Academy. I've learned a lot of uh, a lot about the Spring framework, especially like all the internals. What I didn't know yet. So um, mm -hmm. um, I've mostly done uh, because I've been using Spring Boot since I think end of 2019. So I've been using it for a long time mm -hmm. already, but I've still learned a lot. Like the um, from Sergey, the course about the Spring framework. You've learned a lot about AOP and all that stuff, the internals, uh, the dispatcher servlet that was very handy when I was using the uh, when I've been building the Spring View Component Library. So, yeah. So good. Thumbs up, you'd say. Yeah. Well, good. Thumbs I'm up. happy to hear that. Uh, it's something I, I recommend to a lot of. Be a lot of other good feedback on it too. So Spring Academy. Uh, if you get a chance, you know there's a lot of free stuff, but there's also the paid uh, option, which gives you the a voucher to take the test, just like my friend Thomas did here. Thomas, thanks again so much. Thank uh, you for inviting for me today. And uh, yeah, different time, but this will still roll out on the podcast, and we're having good stuff. Is there any last minute thoughts? Last thoughts you want to share before we drop? Thank you, everyone. It's always nice to be here in this awesome. community. It's it's awesome how you get to interact with you. It's it's like superpower. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. And yeah, until next time, we'll see everybody. Take care. Yeah. Bye. Everybody. Bye. See you next time.